Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast produced by Bob and Brad, the two most famous physical therapists on the internet. I am Bob, and I'm exactly one half of the Bob and Brad team. I'm joined by my other partner, Mike, who's going to ask the keto question today. And we're, our guest is a second time guest. He's actually Dr. Mark Kukazella, and we'll let him explain who he is, but we're going to cover plantar fasciitis or fasciosis, depending on your perspective, and also keto, the keto diet. So enjoy. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Mark Kukazella. Am I saying that correct? You are, Bob. That's correct. All right. Um, we're going to start off with a, we, we, we're essentially going to go over two topics today, uh, plantar fasciitis and keto. Um, um, plantar fasciitis, I want to get into this because I know you own a store, a shoe store, and you also wrote a book called Run for Your Life. Mike, want to show yours? <laughs> we got two copies here. But Brad had nice, read it. Thank you for reading funny. the book. Yeah, it's funny. Brad had read it to my partner, our other partner, and he actually said, you know, even non-runners sh uh, should read this. I mean, there's so much information in there that's good for non-runners too. So could you give us a little bit of backstory on uh, your background as a doctor and owner of a shoe store? Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for having me on the show again. And um, that's first time I've had those two disparate topics in one. <laughs> Maybe we'll connect them. Maybe there a keto diet can, can cure plantar fasciosis. It just, uh, but it probably does have some effect, but we could chat about that. You know, uh, I agree. Weight down I agree. And bring your inflammation down. So, um, but yeah, a little of my background. I'm, I'm a doctor, worked for West Virginia University. I'm a professor here in the School of Medicine, spent 29 years in the Air Force as a flight surgeon. So dealt more with well and active people and in that part of my career. Now I'm dealing um, with people in a state that has the highest obesity and diabetes rate. Most of my work now in medicine is revolved around reversing diabetes, you know, mostly through nutritional oh, interventions. Sure. And we're talking about type two diabetes you know, which is a nutritional issue of carbohydrate intolerance, you know, that's the root of that problem. Right. But I've been a runner my whole life, uh, you know, was probably a hyperactive kid before we just medicated children. <laughs> you know, we went out and just, yeah, just played yeah. for hours and hours and hours out, outside. And that's, I was just constantly moving and was always getting in trouble and, you know, was just constantly busy and, and they, decided to line me up for races and I did pretty well, <laughs> you know, once they sure. put a bib on me, um, <laughs> not just playing tag in the neighborhood and uh, went on to run at University of Virginia oh, cool. and then kept running after that, but was always hurt. I think like all runners in the eighties, I'm 55 now. I mean, that was like old school. We just ran till we broke and then right. tried, uh, we didn't have massage guns that are <laughs> yeah. the fancy yeah. stuff, but yeah, we just broke ourselves and, you know, rinse and repeat. And, um, you know, I ended up having foot surgery about 20, a little over 20 years ago now, you know, for hallux valgus and hallux rigidus, which is, uh, you know, a joint issue with the large toe, but had suffered sure. also with plantar fasciitis, fasciosis would probably be a more accurate term along the way. Um, and, and when I had my own surgery for my feet, you know, like a, as a doc, you know, you're always kind of skeptic about everything you're told that's absolutely true. So I kind of started rereading about biomechanics, footwear, you know, why do you get these problems? <laughs> and, you know, that was before minimalism or five fingers and started to hack shoes apart. 
you know, play more with minimal shoes or widening toe boxes, uh, issues like that. But, you know, really at, at that point, try to understand the reasons why people get plantar fasciosis. I mean, there's a million treatments for it because, you know, there's, we, we haven't hit the root causes of it. You know, you keep treating the symptoms, but I think we've yet to figure out, you know, all the root causes. And that's why my store exists. It's kind of a mini sports med clinic. You know, everyone who walks in with plantar fasciosis has a different issue, right? That's why we do, you know, you guys are PTs. You do this thing called a physical exam and a history, sure. you know, and, and 99% of the issues come out with those two things together. And then we'll work on remedies to try to restructure, restrengthen the foot, you know, to ultimately get them out of it. You sure. know, so in a year when they walk back, you know, that they, they don't have it. And that's prevention is key too. That's why we want children in better footwear so they develop normal strong feet and then they they won't need us later. So that's a little little of that. The store is just a labor of love. Um, small community store, independently owned. You know, we're not part of a chain or anything and host races. Well, both Brad and I have uh, bought somebody of a store and a really good customer service. I mean, awesome. I think you guys did a Zoom fitting or something. One of my yeah, employees that was Brad. right? Nice, nice. Hope hope we did well. Oh, it did fantastic. It gave you service, right? Yeah, yes. old school customer yeah. service. Yeah. So when somebody comes in with a full-blown case of plantar fasciitis, uh, will you recommend an art support for a while or not? Well, again, it, it depends. So some people, their feet are so weak and so dysfunctional. Their arches are collapsed, you know, kind of failing arches, not falling arches. Their intrinsic muscles are weak. You know, their big toe is bent in at a 30 degree angle. Yeah, so they do need a bit of support while they correct that causative factor well, or well, factors. Sure. Yeah, just like any other joint extremity, right? You're going to support for protection, pain relief, and then wean support and add strength. And, and I mean, I don't think that's too far out there to say that that's how we should address the feet. But unfortunately, a lot of people come into my store and they say, well, you need this rigid arch support for life. And it's like, well, what other part, like think, say you had some neck pain and we put a neck brace on you and oh, thank you. It feels a little better. You right. know, we wouldn't just keep that on you for the rest of your life and things will get weaker. And it all depends on the goals too, Bob. You know, if you're 85 years old and just want to walk to the mailbox and, and your foot is really beyond repair, you know, we see that all sure. the time. This is what's beyond repair. We'll do whatever we can to get them walking without pain because the walking is what will help them, you know, with all their other health issues, push sure. their mind, right? They'd like to walk and if it's, it sucks right. to, to hurt with every step. Yeah, so exactly. it, it all, all depends. An eight-year-old, you know, that kid, we want to totally retrain their feet or they're going to be in for a lifetime of trouble. So that kid, we want to like take a lot of time with and get them back to, to normal. Uh, uh, could you talk about how uh, the calf muscles can also affect plantar fasciitis? Yeah, I think tightness of the calf muscle is probably one of the most important things to assess. So, you know, I'll go through with people, you know, can they stand on one foot? You know, that stability, you know, all the, how are those foot muscles working to support the ankle, which tends to drive the knee and drive the hip? You know, what's going on at the feet? And then you look at ankle mobility. Can they get into a deep squat? You know, can they kind of get aster grass? And if they can't, you know, usually it's a calf mobility. And then we do a couple 
different assessments to say, okay, is it hip or is it calf? But for most people, it's tight calves. And because it works as a windlass. So if your if your calf Achilles complex, gastroxoleus complex, you know, for those listening, not medical, that's those two big calf muscles that connect to that big spring called the Achilles tendon. If that's really tight and you're going through the gait cycle, toe off, that's going to affect the way your foot responds to the ground. So you're going to kind of, you're going to be heel up too soon. So you're going to be putting stress on that plantar fascia before it's really designed to take that stress. So working on calf mobility, you know, rolling the calf, trying to spend some time in a deep squat. You know, I, I love the, you know, kind of the uh, uh, knees over toe exercise. Yeah, very good. You know, so, yeah, so you just put, you, yeah, it's a wonderful exercise. You yeah. know, it's more of a static exercise, but usually people need to start with a stool and just can they kind of sink down right. and just bring that calf up to the back of their thigh but that's a wonderful, safe exercise. Yeah. You know, the only caveat would be if someone's got severe osteoarthritis of the knee, you know, like clear that before you have them attempt to get into these positions. Just, you don't want to put forces in the knee that, you know, that are going to cause them pain. It's all gradual progression. So can you talk about bunions and how they might affect uh, plantar fasciitis, like a, a misaligned big toe? Yeah. So if you look at the way, the foot works, right? So if we think of like, uh, think of the picture, maybe your mom saved, not the picture, the footprint of your, your foot when you came out of your mom's right. womb, right? Like the toes, the foot is widest at the tips of the toes, you know, and that tripod foot, tip of the big toe, heel, lateral side of the foot act works like a magical spring, right? So, and, and an arch is supported by the ends, you know, your, your structure is good, right? You can, your foot can work like a spring. But as soon as you take that big toe and torsion it in, right, it's like that three-legged stool, you just cut off one end and now the foot just collapses or you've got to roll to the outside. So you've got to work around it somehow. You, you can't kind of run through the big toe anymore. So you've lost that key feature of the arch and then the arch collapses, not from necessarily weak arch muscles at that, at, you know, in that case it's more the big toe is bent in right which just collapses the foot you know that holds the whole arch structure together especially when that big toe dorsiflexes that creates what's called that magic windlass so when if you're listening now and you were to pull your big toe up your foot makes an arch right so even if you've been told you have flat feet right just go down pull your big toe up your foot makes an arch as long as your big toe can bend up so yeah, we're just trying to restructure things back to normal. The foot's like perfect, you know, human anatomical design to do what, you know, we're meant to do, which is walk and run. You know, it's a, and it's amazingly complicated. That's why it's hard to treat one specific thing. You know, there's 26 bones, right. three joints, a hundred muscles, <laughs> joints move in two to three planes. You know, there's like infinity degrees of movement within the foot. So we want the whole thing like restoring normal, which is not, you know, a, a 10 second steroid injection <laughs> into right. the thing that hurts. Do you recommend so I hope that makes sense of uh, anti-inflammatories at all? Um, oh gosh. Oh, um, other than, yeah. So there's itises and osises, and you guys right. have talked about this on your show before with tendinopathies. So if something is truly, you know, inflamed, right. You just roll that ankle and it hurts so bad. You can't even move and you just want to be out of pain. You know, or you have some type of uh, 
pathologic arthritis, like a rheumatoid and autoimmune arthritis, sure. you have active inflammation. Um, yes, maybe there's some role for non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. They're going to be all of your profens, ibuprofen. But when it comes to chronic degenerative tissue changes, no, we, we don't want those because having that anti-inflammatory actually inhibits the body's reparative processes. So, and most plantar fascia are not itises, right? They just didn't get that yesterday, you know, unless right. they were like on a, you know, hard trail run and they were fine and they just like acutely traumatized it. But, but otherwise they're osises, meaning they're chronic degenerative, you know, disorders, not acute inflammation, like an infection or That's a, a trauma. Really, a really important distinction. I mean, I think people treat it as inflammation and they should be treated as a, like is it, things have um, deteriorated. It's degeneration. Yeah, yeah, the tissue is just you know chronically traumatized. Plus all the the medical side effects of these medications, mostly gastrointestinal. Sure. You know my the sad backstory. The last my last non-steroidal. So I was running at University of Virginia, and I was I think a sophomore year. And, you know, just feeling like tired, feeling like crap. Right? I'm like, sure. like, am I training too hard, too little? And, and uh, you know, we were all hurt. So we were all taking these medications, you know, like you get them in the trainer's room, you know, something, a profen, you just come in a bottle, you're just sure. a knucklehead college kid. <laughs> and then one day my roommate looked at me and said, you know, Mark, you don't look too good. And I, I looked about the color of this wall in front of me, which is white. And he calls his dad, who's a pharmacist you know, college kids don't go to doctors, right? right. They go to the trainer's room. Yeah. So he's like, and he, he asks his, his dad, uh, you know, he tells his dad a few things and his dad asked me a couple of questions. Like, are you taking any, any medicines? I'm like, no, but they give me this stuff in the trainer's room. And I went down to, and I was having stomach pains and I didn't really know what that was. Um, and my hemoglobin was six and my hematocrit was 18 from GI bleed, you know, gastrointestinal bleed. And sure, if you're listening, yeah. what that means is I had, you know, somewhere between a third and a half of my red cell volume still going to track practice. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and then I was like, oh my God, it took like a, a year to two years to fully refill all those iron stores, you know, from oh. all of that chronic blood loss. So, so yeah. So no wonder from other people's mistake. Don't right. do that. <laughs> do not right. take ibuprofen plus kidney issues. You know, it's all kinds of, you name the, they should sure. not be over the counter, those medications. Sure. Really? Wow. Yeah, I, I believe so. The guy who actually invented them as a German who invented the category meds, you know, later in his career, when he heard they were over the counter, he was just like, no, that's crazy. These medications, these are like powerful medications wow. with that's serious amazing. side effects. And, and you know, I know like, they, that ship has sailed. They had trouble with naproxen for a while, right? I mean... They're all, yeah, they're all, all the same. Bad, they're all, all, yeah. Aspirin, same category. Yep. And then like, you know, then they went into the different COX-2s and then you got the tragedy of something called Vioxx, you know, so there's a pathway that can contribute to cardiovascular events. <laughs> so that one got Good Lord. You know, billions of dollars of lawsuits later, you know, but um, yeah. So, so again, be careful. Any medicines an active ingredient. So if you're listening, just anything you put in your yeah. body is an active ingredient. Sure. So you just have to make sure you understand what that is. Um, I, I want to go back to the bunion real quick. Um, so my wife, based upon your book, and she began using the toe spreaders. And 
she's got terrible bunions and re they have really made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Shockingly. So, I mean, they were so bad. I didn't think you would, could, I mean, have you found those to be the most effective way oh. to. Yeah. They're incredible. So that we, we um, have a brand called correct toes. And if yeah. you go to Dr. Ray McClanahan's website, so you could go to, uh, I think his website is Northwest Foot and Ankle. His YouTube channel has all of these exercises on how to correct the big toe deformities. But oh, cool. yeah, a lot of people, they do need the spacers. And I still run with the spacers because my toe still wants to, it's not completely corrected. So just having that toe spacer gets that big toe in the right place. You know, and the big toe is kind of captain of the ship. So yeah, any kind of toe spread or yeah. toe spacer. At the end of the day, it feels really good. Stick your toes in these toe spacers and <laughs> put your feet up and yeah unfortunately uh, 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 unfortunately my wife got the kind that you actually can't run with but brad yeah, got brad got yours so he's running with yours now so oh, heck yeah and yeah. if they, and if you if you can't fit your toes in your shoes with your correct toes bob then you need new shoes because that means your shoes are too tight Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your toe my, box. My showing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually brought my running shoes because I got a bigger oh, toe box. So these are just yeah, ultra. Yeah, you've got a pair of ultras. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. just zeros, and then they just have the white. Explain my like the Escalante. Oh, yep. These yeah, are the Escalante. Yep. And wonderful. Again, uh, would one of you explain uh, uh, these shoes? Again, we we have no heel. I mean, no. Yeah, these these are a zero drop, so they they still have some cushioning, but there's no uh, up heel no compared to a, right. yeah. So like these I use for road running because of the miles I'm putting on right now. But like the and minimalist shoes, the foot. Yeah, but they're pretty comfortable. I mean, these are what I am going to with running because all my other shoes are minimalist shoes that I wear for walking right now. But just to get adapted more, I switch to these for runners. Oh yeah, they're wonderful. Some having cushion when you run is a preference. You know, you want to get your foot strong. I wore that exact shoe in the Comrades Ultra Marathon over in South Africa, which is oh. on a road. It's like 58 miles, and it, they have an up run and a down run. The year I wore those was the down run. So there's like 17,000 feet of descent. Oh my God! On the road. Yeah. So it's point to point. 7,000 drop, but you know, oh, the, yeah. the, the net drop, right? Because you're climbing, going down. There's like net 10,000 climb, 17,000 oh, drop. So you need some cushion. <laughs> no yeah, joke. Amazing. Yeah, if you did that, and my feet are not strong enough to do that barefoot, but you right. train barefoot to get your foot strong, and then you throw some shoes on if you got to go run down a hill for 60 miles on the hard concrete. Yeah. Well, Dr. Kuzala, uh, I mean, if it's okay, we're going to change topics now. Again, I'm going to just mention your book again. Yeah, Mark is fine. Oh, Mark, Run for Your Life and How to Run, Walk, and Move Without Pain or Injury and Achieve a Sense of Well-Being and Joy. And also check out his shoe store. We'll have a link to it. Uh, uh, two River Treads, two isn't rivers, it? TwoRiversTreads.com. Yes, so TwoRiversTreads.com. Awesome. Small local running store. So yeah, support whatever small local businesses you have out there in your community. It's a, you know, that's how the world goes around is yep, these small absolutely. businesses. I agreed hundred percent. What makes it living in America special, right? You got small that's towns right. and small businesses and indie bookstores and, and really good and really good service. So mm -hmm. um, 
Mike, we're going to talk about keto now. Yeah, I brought on because I eat keto too. So that's why I'm here. Um, So we'll just start with this. Mark, why did you switch to a ketogenic diet? Because you, like me, were not originally eating that way. Yeah, I got diabetes. (laughs) So it came pretty, yeah, like I was uh, kind of blindsided me, but not blindsided as I looked backwards. And there's two types of diabetes, type one and type two. One type two is the common type we see where you become insulin resistant and your body's trying to store all these carbohydrates, cranking out more and more insulin, becoming obese, fatty liver, you know, so that's the common variety we see. And then there's the other type where you don't make enough insulin, you know, and that was the type I was developing. And I had blood tests when I was on military duty, which put me right at the full diabetes spectrum. And I looked like this and, you know, was running 60 miles a week and winning races, <laughs> but I was waking up at like two in the morning, every morning, um, needing more carbohydrate because I would have this spike and this crash. I'd have a little bit of a delayed insulin response, but my insulin response was almost completely gone. Um, put a continuous glucose monitor on and saw what was happening real time. And, uh, in basically in 72 hours after wearing that glucose monitor, turned the food pyramid upside down because, uh, to maintain military service, you cannot be diabetic, right? You can't be on medications or else. And I had done work, um, Mike, with the DOD and the military, you know, for that year prior on the fitness test and working on really obesity was one of the biggest drivers of people failing the test. So, so during that, that year, I dug in deep into the literature of obesity and the science of obesity and really just uh, observational experiences of military members traveling to all these bases. And whenever I'd go to a military base and ask if anyone's uh, lost 50 pounds and kept it off for a year, you know, I'd get maybe one hand and it might be someone like you, Mike, and I'd say, what did you do? And uh, across the board, it was always the same answer, something similar to, well, I did, uh, you know, I'm, got rid of all the bread, you know, I got rid of all the sugar, you know, right. I, I did paleo and yep. you know, 11, 12 years ago, paleo wasn't an aisle in your grocery store. It was, <laughs> that was like, you know, right. eating, eating animals and plants. And, and a gutsy person might say they did Atkins, right? I was a doctor there. Right. I was going to yell at him. You know, and Gary Taubes's work was out there. So, so I knew the literature was sound that eating eggs didn't clog arteries. So, so like having done that, it, I didn't have any fear. Oh gosh, I just need to eat more eggs, meat, veggies, and just get rid of all the carbohydrates. And, you know, I was probably true, you know, so, so the true ketogenic diet is probably somewhere, you know, 20, 30 grams of carbs a day. And, you know, I'm actually in that space and I've been there for 10 years for medical indications. Um, so not everyone needs to be in that space. So, so you need to figure out kind of what your issues are. I've got a monitor in my arm now and, you know, and it tells me where I need to be, you know, if ketone meters. And I'm always at a low grade level of nutritional ketosis. And all that means is I'm making energy from fat. I'm not trying to gain or lose weight. I'm trying to maintain my muscle mass, but you know, you can be a, a butter burner or a bagel burner. And if your body, you know, by your own disease state genetically, you know, your body's not adapted to burning the carbs, then you got to switch to the other, you know, it's like driving on the right-hand side of the road or the left-hand side of the road. So just, you can't do both. <laughs> just pick. So are you saying which Mark, one uh, that some people can, can get by with more carbs? Oh, heck yeah. 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 So for sure. Um, someone is uh, at in what we call insulin sensitive, meaning their muscle and liver are completely fine. They can throw in, you know, half a pizza with a craft beer 
their glucose goes up a little bit and that insulin only needs to go up a little bit and you'll store that pizza in the craft beer, go mountain bike tomorrow. Now, sure. if you've got a little bit of a fatty liver, you know, got that's called insulin resistance. Now the system's full, right? You're resistant. There's no room in the end. Now that person throws in, you know, 100, 200 grams of carbohydrates, their body can't clear that as easy. So the insulin's got to start cranking up. So instead of just like a little squirt of insulin, they need like a fire hose of insulin. And then that high insulin state, trying to, insulin's going to regulate the blood glucose and create homeostasis. So it'll do whatever it needs to do to create homeostasis with blood sugar until it can't anymore. So that insulin cranks up, cranks up, cranks up. Now, muscle and liver don't want that glucose. It's, it's you're already infiltrated with fat. So if that's the case and the insulin's cranking up and it's got to dispose of the carbohydrate, where's it going to put them? It's going to convert it to body fat, right? That's right. through your liver. It's going to start shuttling it, fat trapping. You're tired all the time. On you're hungry you. all the time. Yep. So if you're going in that direction, even if you're a runner, right? You're like, gosh, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm putting on belly weight. You know, I had a guy last week in, in clinic and he's pretty lean, but he's feeling more fatigued. He's in his 60s. He was like an old school runner, like from the 60s, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, running marathons, like ran in college, right. you know, when they had dirt tracks. And wow. sure enough, you look at him and he's fine. But no, he's, you know, his A1C was pre-diabetic, triglycerides high. It's like he's still eating, you know, the Bill Rogers diet, you know, I'm but sorry. now he's like 70 years old. And right. the Bill Rogers diet was like, you know, he's just eating you know, whatever he can, because right. he can burn through it right? yep. <laughs> back gotcha. in the day, right? Yep. There was no fancy sports nutrition when that's right. You know, Billy was winning Boston. He'd eat sandwiches and yeah. you know, chips and pizza and beer and soda, whatever he could get his hands yeah. on. Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> so do I. That's how I ran in my so 20s. School. A little different yeah, just, now. I had so many stomach aches back then too, but um, and what, what made you decide, Mike, to make the, the switch? Like, I was were you having some kind of issue or curiosity? I had curiosity and then I wasn't, I always had like energy sways pretty bad and type mm-hmm. two diabetes runs in my family. Uh, my mom's actually type one. So I okay. have always known, you know, what diabetes is and stuff, but I, I went off it for a bit and I wasn't feeling as good. And I actually started checking my fasting blood sugar because I had a ketone meter and it was actually like, 100, 510 <laughs> when I went back to carbs and I was like, I feel great on keto. I'm like, I'm just going back. Just like, there, I, yeah. yeah. I was like, this is stupid, <laughs> but yeah, it's basically, yeah. I was just like, it runs my family. It's just easy, you know, control of your hunger, better energy, better digestion. So for I, me br- personally, I brought so. this chart in that uh, my wife and she agreed I could show it. Bob's and, wife is on started keto yeah, last year after we had, sure we had that. Eric Westman on. Oh, heck yeah. But this is, so this is his wife's chart. The, uh, the blue line going up there is her fasting blood sugar before keto. And the last line is after keto. That that was uh, right when she was I can't read the numbers, but she was was in diabetic range, it looks like. And now she's. It was between 100 and 113 before keto. And now it's, yeah, fasted. Now it's like below 80. And she was How told. How does she feel? I oh, mean, does she feel great, good now? Great, great. And she, yeah. and she, she was told by her doctor, "There's nothing you can do." You're, no, you're going to be absolutely dying. wrong. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, no. I said, yeah, right. And so she, this has convinced her. She's so happy now. 
And we just published a study, um, Bob, with new type two diabetes patients. You know, new, they full diabetes, right? So destined to be on medicine, lifelong disease, right. chronic progressive disease. And we put a glucose monitor, one of these things that I have on my arm, and you, if it's this is yeah. thing, you can see it, and gave them a little guidebook. Um, and we had a, a psychologist just do a couple sessions teaching them how to use the guidebook of how to monitor their sugars and assess food and activity. And in uh, four months, two thirds of the patients made their type two diabetes go away, wow. meaning by American Diabetes Association definition. Wow. And hemoglobin A1C average reduction 1.8. Wait, there's no medicine, right? Like, wait, that right. should not that should not happen. But it's it just makes the case that look, this can happen. Um, there's multiple hundreds of publications right. now in this space because type two diabetes is a dietary syndrome of carbohydrate intolerance. It's treated by reducing the carbohydrates and reducing the insulin resistant. So that's, Absolutely. if we don't speak there, but I think what both of you had really have nailed or with your wife there, Bob, is there's this thing called the gut brain axis, which I think will be the next frontier. So that the gut isn't just some tube to digest calories and carbs to run. There's all of this hormonal response from food, which affects our mood, affects our energy, affects yes. our hunger. So, so like they, people discount that, like, well, I'm not hungry anymore. Like, well, let's, well, so, so what's that mean? I mean, you're, you're getting different. I mean, would you say that's true, Mike? You just get a different like mood response with food. You don't have yeah. this. And it's hard to put your finger on it because what you feel is probably you different than what I feel. You lose your addiction to like certain things. Like I was pretty addicted to sugar, even when I try to eat clean carb sources, like it, you, you'd still get those really harsh cravings and now that's gone. I don't, I don't like yeah, you're, practice you're intermittent cute. fasting on purpose, but it just happens. Like most days mm -hmm. I don't eat till 10 or 11 in the morning. I'm usually done eating by six or seven. Like I, I'm just not hungry and I don't see the point in forcing myself to eat if I'm not hungry. So, and how's your energy running? You know, just, Oh, it's good. It's great. It's good. like, I, cause I used to be a, eat a big meal, sit around for two hours and then run. And your stomach was kind of a mess. And now it's like, yeah. you know, run fast and I have coffee, maybe electrolytes if it's a long run, you know, beforehand, but it's like, you could just go. I mean, I like to go, eat. Yeah, heck yeah. If I lift weights like hard, I, I like to eat before that, but running, I don't. But yeah, it's always personal. predictable. You never, it takes like, if you're an ultra runner, even a marathoner, it, it takes a big kind of problem out of the equation right people all my yeah. stomach goes right because they have this nutrition plan and if it's something doesn't work out with that like their race is a mess and they've wasted yeah. four months of training but the beauty of low carb is you don't need a nutrition plan no <laughs> you, oh, just, you need an electrolyte plan you just get salt in your body and fluids sure. but you don't need like a nutrition plan unless maybe you're doing a true ultra or something you're gonna be out there like four plus hours sure. yeah, and well, then you got to figure out how to get some calorie in you. But yeah, other than well, that. I, last year or December, I ran a marathon and it had more elevation than I was expecting, mm -hmm. but it was, um, yeah, I, I went fasted into it. And then like halfway through, because it had like 1600 feet of elevation total throughout it, but it was like spaced out. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like brought carb gels in case I needed some quick yeah, glycogen yeah. during it. And like, that was fine because I only Just took like that. two of them way mm -hmm. into the race because I could feel like my hamstrings are getting really tired from those inclines, but 
yeah, I mean, it's just kind of strategy, I guess, but. And practice it. If you're listening to this, don't go out tomorrow, not doing low carb and say, I'm going to do low carb and go run four hours. Cause you have oh, to train yeah. your body. I, yeah. It takes <laughs> I, a while. I, I bugged, right? No, it takes sometimes months to yeah. really, depending on, on your metabolism sure. to really make that switch. Yeah. Do you really want to talk about how keto has changed your approach to how you run your clinic and your patients? Oh yeah. So 10 years ago, came back to the hospital after dealing with my own diagnosis and figuring that out. And um, I heard Tim Noakes speak. I was given a sports med conference with him down in South Africa. And most people probably heard of Prof Noakes. Um, and I hadn't kind of come out yet that I thought this was applicable to all of my daily patients when I kind of knew it probably was, but you know, you're working in an institution that still thinks eggs are going to cause heart disease and I'm right. just a GP, but Tim gave this talk and it was like a two hour talk. And he's like, well, this is the first time I've really spoken about this, you know, and he went through his whole own path of diabetes, you know, and, and what he read and learned. And he's like, well, it's been about five years. And I think, I think it's safe to talk about this now because I think, I think I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he never says he is, he says, but it took him five years. And if you know, Prof Noakes, you know, he's written yeah. a thousand papers, you know, so, and then he gave this two hour talk with, you know, hundred scientific references, historical references, and the food pyramid and how the, how that came to be like, just basically this was it, right. It's like, Oh my God, like, I'm not crazy. Cause like, you know, I'd been thinking all this myself. And then I came back to my hospital and proposed, uh, we change menus for diabetes patients and, and after some headbutting, um, they actually agreed to have a 10 gram carb per meal option for diabetes patients. And if you think about it, in most hospitals, if you have diabetes, the standard diet is 60 grams of carbohydrates per oh, meal. Wow. And if, yeah. any, if, if any of you out there actually has diabetes and has a glucose monitor on your arm, go eat 60 grams of carbs. Yeah. 10 grams raises your sugar 40 milligrams per deciliter, right? So, so you're just, wow. we're blowing up people's blood sugar and giving them insulin on the side. So, so it took some resistance and they were kind of terrified of doing that. And I said, look, I will be there. You know, these, um, we're just going to watch them. Right. And didn't, uh, obviously there's no harm in that because the, the menu is that, you know, double eggs, double salad, extra eggs, right. It wasn't as like we fed them a start. There was basically like a well-formulated low-carb diet, eat, you know, eat plants and animals and wasn't a calorie restricted in any way that couldn't even finish the meals, but it didn't have carbohydrate other than some of the leafy vegetables and the blood sugars are stable. Then there, and then the next concern was, well, what are they going to do when they leave the hospital? Right. Cause no, you know, if they've learned this and then they go out and go talk to their doc and they're like, Oh, that's crazy. So, so they actually right. allowed me to open up a clinic here doing this, you know, awesome. so my clinic is where I'm standing right now. So you know, even though I am an outlier of, of, within our institution, you know, yeah, this is still not even close to generally accepted or standard care. I am allowed to teach carbohydrate reduction, you know, take people off medicines. You know, I follow people on glucose monitors, you know, and we land the plane, right? We pull them off their insulin slowly, we, but we watch all the parameters. And uh, there's, there's no downside to this. Like if someone would show me that there's a downside to to reducing liver fat, reducing medication, reducing belly fat, you know, their blood pressure gets better, their lipids, everything gets better, right? There's, and I don't take their stomach out, right? Like it's right. not bariatric surgery. It should be an option, you know, for every patient and they can choose what to do, but it's not offered as an option, 
you know, for probably 98% of people who come in with type two diabetes, you know, exactly. Like you said, uh, you know, your, your wife there, oh, you're going to ultimately get diabetes and be on meds. And if that's what you're told, you might actually believe that go home and eat your bread and just say, well, I guess, you know, I'm smoking and I'm going to get emphysema and I'm going to die. Right. No, stop smoking. Right. Right. It's like, no, no, we, we need, and we're going to help you. Right. We're not just going to tell you that. And that's maybe what differentiates my practice. You know, Bob is, uh, you know, I gave a talk um, with Eric Westman a few weeks ago and I was like, what am I going to talk about? That's different. And really what I, my whole uh, topic was called compassion and medicine, because I think that's, what's gone. We all talk about train. I train med students and empathy, you know, you feel their pain, but that doesn't engage them in the way compassion is. I understand what you're going through and I'm going to do everything I can to help you. I will do everything I can to help you, right? Every patient I see has my text message. I put glucose monitors on them. Wow. You know, we are going to do everything we can to help you. You're having trouble calm. Like we will do everything we can to help you. We are all in to help you. And they appreciate that because this ain't easy. No, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like giving up, you know, we're in the, the opiate belt here in West Virginia too, right? So if we're going to help people get off opiates, right? They need full support. Sure. Mm-hmm. So we want to help people. And that's what we try to do here. That's why we publish papers and do research too, because, you know, people bully you and they think, and they want to tell you what you're doing is dangerous. So you just go write the papers, right. And do the research and show that. That's what's so strange to me is the research is so solid. (laughs) The research is like crazy solid. Solid. Right. Dr. Westman said that. Yeah. It's pretty good. Right. Yeah. People right. don't question if it. If was a drug, it'd be a bajillion dollar seller, right? <laughs> right. Like it's the biggest hammer for even yeah. depression. You know, when people are diabetic, they're depressed. Yeah. And yeah. we even saw that in our little pilot study. The, the thing that moved the most was their depression score. Yeah. yeah it's, their blood sugar. It yeah. is. Like a, it's a big mood changer. Yes. I mean, I'm, I I'm, I've always been pleasant, but like, there are times I really had to put on a face, especially like, cause we work with elderly patients and you have to have patience with them. And like, once I went to keto, it's just like night and day difference. I don't even like need to sleep as much at night. It's weird. Sure. Um, it's weird Mark, we're coming up to a hard stop here. Do you have time for one more question or? Sure. sure. Yeah. I can go a couple minutes over here, but that's cool. Take one more. I mean, we have the, got um, patients putting in the room, but this has been fun. Nice little lunch break. Sure. Um, so like, what are some lab values you typically look at that other doctors don't? Cause you know, everyone always hears cholesterol is terrible and other stats. What are things yes. you commonly look at? So most people can look at their own labs without any fancy labs. One is just a hemoglobin A1C, right? That's your three month average sugar, right? So, so they say, well, normal is about 5.0 range. And they say pre-diabetes is 5.7 full diabetes is 6.5. So the more you're trending, toward pre-diabetes is like being a little bit pregnant. So as soon as you're there, you have diabetes, right? It's not like Uh, pre-diabetes, you have it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a a marker. Um, You can look at your triglyceride level. So high triglyceride travels with the pre-diabetes. Genetically, some people will gain 100, 200, even 300 pounds before they become diabetic because their insulin keeps cranking up, packaging away, but they're not diabetic yet. They're just very good genetically at becoming obese. And then you might be a South Asian and you won't become obese and you'll have full diabetes at a normal BMI. So looking at that triglyceride level 
is really uh, important because that's just a marker. And in the literature, if you look at what cholesterol markers travel with heart disease, it's high triglyceride blows them all away, as well as low HDL, which goes along with the high triglyceride. So that triglyceride to HDL ratio is what you want to look at. And ideally, you'd want your HDL to be higher than your triglyceride, um, has much more validity. LDL by itself, without looking at those other two markers, means absolutely nothing. So mm-hmm. if you have high LDL and diabetes, right? You're in trouble. But if you have high LDL and you're uber well, I have high LDL. I have a coronary calcium score of zero, but my HDL is 110 and my triglycerides like 70, you know, so, so I'm fine, right? I'm just trafficking lipids around my body, but someone else might be different. Um, if you really want to know, okay, okay, about this insulin resistance deal, you know, you're putting weight on in the belly, get a fasting insulin. Just uh, you can order those online. You don't even need your yeah. doctor to order. Wow. Go to like Ulta Labs is a site I use, and it's just it's like a oh, non-transparent fine. menu, right? You can just I yeah, want this no. test, I want this test. That's Vitamin cool. D might be another one if you're going to go spend twenty bucks. You know, because you guys are up in Minnesota, right? right like I, it's yeah. probably hard to if we just went into like your town and just did vitamin D levels, you know, probably most of them are going to be pretty low. damn low. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially winter yeah. and over it is. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that one, um, but those are really the, and then your waist circumference, you don't even need a lab, right? So the markers of the metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, heart disease, they all travel together as waste, increased blood pressure, high triglyceride, low HDL, and then what your wife had there, impaired fasting glucose, even without the A1C. So fasting glucose greater than 100 is abnormal, mm-hmm. meaning you're trending. You want that's, that. So, so again, she was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where she was. I don't know yeah. what her triglycerides were. And it'd be curious. I bet her triglycerides are down now and her HDL is up all, yeah. and her waist and like all these other markers. Uh, you're absolutely right. Are going to. And probably if you really want the test of truth, because, you know, who cares, prediabetes, cholesterol, what do we care about? You know, we care about cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the leading cause of death of men and women far and away, right? And that includes stroke, right? So, so we're talking right. about heart disease and stroke, you know, so that if people are wondering, okay, where do you stand? You just go get this $99 test called a calcium score. And that test will tell you anywhere from zero I mean, you got absolutely no plaque on your arteries to, you know, holy S, right? You got a ton of plaque on your arteries. So sometimes like, you know, do you want to aggressively treat something to prevent heart disease? It's good to know, well, do you have heart disease or not? Sure. You know, um, that's what a CT scan is, right? Yeah. It's a coronary artery calcium. It's done by a CT. It's like a 30 second, no dye. It's like the mammogram of the heart. You know, it's okay. no radiation more than a like equivalent to a mammogram or two chest x-rays or a transcontinental flight. So there's no, and very low cost. Yeah. Um, and your calcium score can, can change, um, you know, even if you have plaque buildup, like if you go on a diet, it can decrease. Cause I've seen people post about that. It's not like it's permanently. Yeah, and the, the people posting there. about that, like they probably don't know what they're talking about because uh, the calcium is a scar. So someone, and it's usually tied to some kind of supplement or program. So, mm-hmm. so when you have a scar, what you want to do, so, so what calcium is, they're, they're injuries. They're small scars in the arteries, soft plaque ruptures to create a scar. That's the, that's the calcium 
that you see on the scan. They're like little injuries. Mm-hmm. So if I've got scars on me, I can't make them go away really, but I can stabilize yeah. them and not add new ones. So sure. the goal is if you have a score, you've got calcium on your arteries, is lock down whatever contributed to your calcium. And it, that could be just stress. You know, yeah. maybe your own relationship issues, kid issues, family crisis, financial crisis, like night shift work, right? Like there's a lot, find a good clinician that can figure out why you got that calcium. Well, maybe I smoked three packs a day in my thirties. Now I've quit, right? Well, that's, that's like a dumb thing. Just don't keep doing that. Sure. So this is why you need clinicians to help have conversations with you. Yeah. And not just like put you on things, right? So it's always a discussion, but no, that's a, I mean, that's like another whole topic, the calcium score, but understanding when to use it, how to use it, what to do with the results and don't let it scare you. It's just information that, and if I think the most powerful thing, Mike, about that test is we're all going to the doctors and we're all afraid we're going to leave. They're afraid we're going to die of something. <laughs> we're always adding yep. risk, right? Aye. So if your score is zero, right, we can look in the eye and say, Mike, you're good, right? You're That's fine. cool. You're good. You're fine. Aye. Go run. Don't. My score is still zero. Knock on wood. I had it done a couple months ago. I get it done every five years. That's the, the our military standard. We would do it sure. every five years. Pilots. So I'll just keep doing that you know, probably until I really get to old age and then just stop doing it. But <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, you almost have to do that to defend what you're doing. So people will say, Oh, eggs clog right, your arteries. Right. Yeah. I was at this conference with Eric and I've probably had five eggs a day for the last 10 years. And you yeah. kind of do the math there. So if eggs clog arteries, at least for my N of one, and if I've had five eggs a day for, I don't know how many zeros that would be. Yeah wait, I don't have any plaque on my arteries. So eggs do not clog your arteries. Sure. I have three Everyone's a day. There. I don't you only have cool. three a day? I have only like, three. Yeah. yeah, I have a lot more I than that. Up. Dr. Mark, thank you wonderful. so much. Great information. Thank you for the massage. Got two after the last show. I've, a friend of mine stole it, so I had to go get another one. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, we can send you another one. Not, in a, not a, one. in a negative way, but but yeah, because you loan it to someone who, I got this SI issue here. Sure. You, know, you loan it, and you, that's the last time you see that massage gun. <laughs> they work. Yeah. We got some yeah. other models. We could send you a different one. <laughs> yes. yeah. Uh, yeah, they have ones with like heat. No, but heck yeah, they work. We're, we use cool. them for fascia therapy. Yeah. And thanks for uh, sharing my book and reading it. Yeah. Likewise. We can, we can terrific. Do, uh, terrific. Another follow up on a topic of interest. If you've got one later. It's yeah, always fun. absolutely. You're, you're a fountain of knowledge. So, so we'll put everything in Mark's store and website and book information down below. If you're uh, watching, if you're on podcast stuff, I guess just look somewhere in description. But we'll see you, Dr. Mark. See you, Mark. All right. Guys, have a great afternoon. Right. Stay warm. Spring's you- coming. <laughs>